Why is that so important to you to defend their right to disagree with you? If freedom of speech means anything at all, it means the ability to say things that people don't want to hear. If we're going to start saying, okay, you can't say that, well, who decides you can't say that? And this is a harsh reality, but it is a reality. Is elected officials are always going to do things that benefit them. So what's going to happen is it will go from saying, yeah, that speech is really dangerous. You shouldn't say that. Um, and we can all kind of agree, okay, maybe there's some stuff that people shouldn't say, okay, because it's terrible and it could lead to some bad, bad outcomes. However, what will end up happening is we end up going down the slippery slope and eventually the politicians will say, yeah, you can't criticize the government because that's dangerous. That, that is the most dangerous thing possible because we then we end up like all these other authoritarian regimes where criticizing the government itself becomes the biggest danger. And that is completely unacceptable in a free society. Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential. And here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of American Potential. You know, some people go from being a business owner or a stay-at-home parent to becoming an elected official. But today's guest, went from being a household name to being elected as a county mayor in Tennessee. Our guest has a unique blend of talent and experiences that he's been able to bring to his role as a county mayor. With his wrestling background, he knows how to captivate an audience, but his passion for serving his community truly sets him apart. Now, he learned that value of hard work, dedication, and why our freedoms need to be protected from growing up in a military family. And today, we're going to talk to him about why now, more than ever, those freedoms need to be protected. I want to welcome Knox County, Tennessee's Mayor, Glenn Jacobs. Uh, Mr. Mayor, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. So, I mean, you're pretty well known because you you because of your time as a professional wrestler but for our listeners that don't know can you can you kind of share your american dream absolutely i was actually born in madrid spain my dad was in the military at the time he was in the air force shortly after i was born we went back to the states when i was four years old dad retired from the military he served 10 years in the navy then it switched services to the air force where he served 11 years um, but we moved to very rural Northeast Missouri. Um, it was an economically depressed area, economically depressed time. These are the Carter years and my family. I don't want to say that we struggled, but um, you know, dad has military retirement and he worked in factories a lot. Unfortunately, got laid off a lot. Uh, later, he got a job with the Postal Service. Those early years, though, if we had um, an unexpected expense, it's just the car breaking down, it would really... Um, Things got real tight financially for my family, and I just didn't want to feel when I grew up that I was living paycheck to paycheck despite working as hard as my mom and dad did. And my mom and dad are the greatest people in the world. I mean, when you think of, like, just America and the American people, you think of folks like George and Joan Jacobs. But I wanted to play professional sports. That had always been my dream. Um, I was in college playing football. looked like I had a chance to play in the NFL. hurt my knee very seriously. That evaporated my hopes of playing in the NFL uh, and I was looking for something else to do that involved athletics and sports and kind of stumbled on pro wrestling and always been a bit of a fan but not something that I'd wanted to do ever since I was a little kid 
But the great thing about our free enterprise system is the only limitation on how you use your gifts and your skills and really how far you can go using them is your imagination and your ability uh, to work, to utilize those skills. And I thought that I could be good at that and uh, started out, it was pretty difficult for a couple of years, but eventually found success in WWE, which is Major League Professional Wrestling. In 2001, I was, excuse me, 2021, I was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, which is a huge honor. And uh, had a life that I never thought possible. I mean, I traveled the world, been in all 50 states, over 40 countries around the world, entertained millions of people live and on TV, been able to give my family a life that I wouldn't have thought possible when I was uh, a youngster. So um, to me, I'm the I'm a product of the American dream. I mean, I, I was able to find something I was good at. I worked hard at it. And I was able, uh, again, to, you know, to really do some things in my life that I never would have thought possible. And then eventually parlayed that into running for governor, running for governor, excuse me, running for mayor of Knox County, uh, Tennessee, and uh, won that. And that's been a great experience as well. So I want to know, what did your parents think about this journey? Were they, I'm sure they were supportive of it, but uh, did your dad think, what are you doing? <laughs> Not really. They actually were always very supportive of everything that I did um, yeah. and encouraged me to do things. I mean, I have, I have a, a college degree. I was going to teach and coach if wrestling didn't work out. And I think that's important for everybody to realize that you, know, you always have to have options. I always tell young people to hold on to your dreams, but also realize that you have to make a living while you're chasing those dreams. Right. Um, so uh, they never worried that I wouldn't be able to do that. And they actually encouraged me to, you know, go out and go for it. So what what lit that fire uh, under you to get involved in politics? Like what's the driving? What's the why <laughs> behind why you're involved? It's the fact that I am a product of the American dream. And I want to make sure that those opportunities are available for my kids, my grandkids. Like Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And I have greatly benefited from the freedoms that this country protects. I don't want to say grant because the freedoms are yours from God, uh, but it's up to government to protect those freedoms. And that's something that we have taken seriously in this country, um, but it's kind of going away and, and unfortunately has been for quite some time. Uh, and to me, it was a way of doing what I could to make sure that the people that I love and really everybody is able to live the life that they want to create. And that's, that's what the American dream really is. It's yeah. the freedom to use your gifts to create the life that you want to live for yourself. Uh, and, you know, my wife is a military uh, I, I call her a brat and I, you know, in her case, it's kind of true, but I'm sure not in yours. But uh, anyway, <laughs> that's such as that's such a, 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 a sacrifice in and of itself is being, you know, a dependent of a military member. I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, what our military families go through moving, you know, school to school and they're just not a permanency to that. So thank you for, for that uh, as well. Um, did I did you, did you take more jabs as a politician or a wrestler? I guess that's my next question. <laughs> they're they're different in wrestling. Obviously, you take a lot of uh, physical abuse. In politics, you take a lot of verbal abuse. Um, <laughs> so it really depends on um, what you would like, which which you would prefer, or kind of punishment. Yeah. Um, 
But I think what everyone needs to keep in mind is, and this is what I tell my wife, you know, she's much more sensitive to it than I am. Um, and I think that's the case for most elected officials is even now people, it's, it's people are still reacting to a perceived persona. Okay. The people that criticize me in many cases have never met me. They have no idea why I think the way I do, despite the fact that I, you know, I, I try to explain that. Um, and frankly, it, again, it's kind of like wrestling because no matter what, we're so partisan now that it's not going to matter. Okay. If, they're Democrats. I happen to be Republican, but if they're Democrats, they're going to criticize me no matter what. And then, of course, you have some people on your side that, frankly, want your position, okay, or they don't think that they have enough influence. And it's sad because it really does, in many cases, come down to power and who wants to be in power. But that's unfortunately just the way it is. But as I explained to my wife, it, it, it's it's you can't take it personally because it's really not about you. It's just reacting to or, or, or saying things about what they perceive or what they build you up to be in their own minds. Yeah. Well, and we want to talk about free speech, right? And, and this, uh, this wonderful First Amendment that we have uh, in the United States that, as you, as you correctly pointed out, guarantees the, the government not interfere with our God-given rights to freedom of speech and uh, the other things that are granted in the first amendment, the other freedoms. But uh, you, you talked about that and being a politician, right. Or being an elected official, sometimes that's, that's criticism, but you defend the rights of, of people who may disagree with you as, as the mayor to, to say those things. Why is that so important to you to defend their right to disagree with you? I think it was George Orwell that said, um, it may not have been, but anyway, uh, that if freedom of speech means anything at all, it means the ability to say things that people don't want to hear. And the issue is, if we're going to start saying, okay, you can't say that, well, who decides you can't say that? You know, and there's stuff, people say things that I find offensive and, uh, you know, just that they shouldn't say. But the problem is, who's going to watch the watchers? And when we start talking about things like censorship and all that, Invariably, it goes back to political advantage. And we saw this during the COVID-19 pandemic with social media. Um, I, at various points, was a victim of it myself, uh, where I would say things on social media, which now have turned out to be true, by the way. Mm -hmm. But it was politically incorrect at that time to say those. There was misinformation. It was dangerous to say these things. And it was censored by the big tech companies in collusion with the federal government. Well, again, now it turns out that all these things were true. Okay, a lot of the things that folks were saying, which were considered disinformation, misinformation at the time and dangerous, were true. And to me, that that's the most important thing is who's going to make the decisions about what is okay to say and what is not okay to say. Okay, and what folks have to understand, and this is a harsh reality, but it's a reality is elected officials are always going to do things that benefit them. So what's going to happen is it will go from saying, yeah, that speech is really dangerous. You shouldn't say that. Um, and we can all kind of agree, okay, maybe there's some stuff that people shouldn't say, okay, because it's terrible and it could lead to some bad, bad outcomes. However, what will end up happening is we end up going down the slippery slope and eventually the politicians will say, yeah, you can't criticize the government because that's dangerous. That, that, 
is the most dangerous thing possible because we then we end up like the Soviet Union or all these other authoritarian regimes where criticizing the government itself becomes the biggest danger. And that is completely unacceptable in a free society. Well, that's really the danger that our founding fathers saw, too, right, is that that government shouldn't be allowed to pick the winners and losers and what, you know, what is what is accurate speech. I mean, you talked about some of the stuff that was happening during covid. Uh, You know, why does the government get to decide what is accurate or inaccurate Uh, to our founding fathers? They didn't think the government had that authority to do that. And that's really what this comes down to, isn't it? Right. It is. And as I as I was just saying, you know, if if big tech wants to censor people, okay, that's their prerogative. If they are on private platforms, if they own those. Right. The issue is when you find out the government is pressuring them to do so or they're colluding with government to do so, then that becomes a first right or violation of the First Amendment because they become de facto arms of the government. You know, it's just like my house. You know, you come into my house and you start cussing me out. You're probably not going to stay very long. Okay, that's just the way that it is. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't do that, Mr. Mayor. I wouldn't do that. I promise. <laughs> but you know, it's different. We're talking about the public square, and we're talking about the government is the one behind the scenes making decisions about what is acceptable speech and what is not acceptable speech, especially when it's political speech. Okay, you know, and that 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 is the most important thing. And a lot of times we get into these cultural arguments, and I understand that as well. Um, and sometimes they do have implications on the political side of things. Um, but, you know, political speech has to be protected, even if it's things that we may not want to hear. Yeah. You know, and I want to I want to drill down a little bit on the point that you made uh, that it's it's not acceptable, according to the First Amendment, for the government to collude or direct uh, this, uh, you know, these social media companies. And we've had court cases and uh court after court so far have said the government overstepped its bounds by doing that. But, I, you know, you rightly point out that if a if a social media company wants to say, hey, we're only going to allow these things on our platform for the government to then step in and say, no, you must allow other things would also be an infringement of free speech. Right. For the government to demand that some private entity like Facebook or somebody be able to do that. Now, I happen to think that they ought to do it in the traditions of free speech in a free and open society. But you make a really important point, and that's where the government crossed the line and violated the First Amendment, in your view, right, is when they were directing social media companies to do that. And the issue becomes more complicated because some of these companies are receiving funding. Uh, in some cases, you even see like the the intelligence agencies are using them to to you know, have campaigns overseas and those sort of things. So it becomes more difficult because literally they they're becoming arms of the federal government. And and to me, that's you know, that's a whole other issue entirely. The fact that, you know, the government's spending all this money doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And certainly that's one of those. Uh, but in the context of what you're talking about, exactly, you know, government shouldn't be telling them what people can't say, what people can say. It should be up to the platforms themselves. And we should also encourage uh, to the extent possible, encourage competition. And, and we've seen that with some of the, uh, the newer um, platforms that have come out. And then of course, what happened with like Parler was they colluded to get Parler shut down uh, again, which is completely, you know, completely past the pale. They should have never been doing things like that. 
Um, and I, I would hope that coming out of COVID that folks realize the things that happened in COVID were not unique politically to that point in time. Okay, these are things that government's always going to want to do because government always wants to suppress dissent. And that's what we saw during the pandemic. And they did it by getting the social media companies to censor free speech on their platforms. Uh, let's talk a little bit about tolerance and free speech and how important that is in society. I mean, it's easy to be in favor of free speech. Uh, you and I sounds like we agree politically on a lot of the issues. It'd be easy for me to say, well, I, you know, he should have uh, the, the mayor should have freedom of speech. It's a lot harder for people to tolerate speech they disagree with. But that's really the whole point of the First Amendment. Maybe talk about that tolerance that we all need to have. Well, it is. You don't have to agree with what people are saying. And, you know, uh, you can strongly, vociferously voice your opposition. Um, and then folks also have to understand, though, that when they say things, there might be consequences for that. And I don't mean physical violence, but I do mean you may not want to associate with those people. You know, you may not be able to get a job because of some things that you said on social media. I mean, when I was in the private sector, we would uh, vet people's social media uh, feeds and things like that, basically to see, you know, hey, what, what are they saying? And this is, is this is someone that we would not want to employ for that reason. And I think that's perfectly legitimate. Um, you know, and some people will say, well, you shouldn't be profiling or whatever. And uh, that that's not the case. Again, as a private employer, you know, if it's not discriminatory and they're saying things online that I don't agree with and I think that are going to cause my company trouble, I should have the, the freedom, the right not to hire them as a representative of my company. Um, so on the one hand, yes, you know, absolutely. Uh, we have to be able to say you can say these things. We may not agree with them, but you have to say them. But then also, you have to understand that there might be social consequences for saying them as well. So don't turn around and say, oh, you know, people shouldn't be you know, mean to me because I said a bunch of hateful things. Well, there's a difference between, to me, there's a difference between tolerance and acceptance. You're free to say it, but you also have to realize there might be consequences for saying it. Yeah. There are, um, you know, these, these things that uh, I think the First Amendment was meant to protect Sometimes they're difficult topics, and they are things that we disagree with. They're political things. I mean, I often say uh, to folks, look, it's it's not a great debate that needs to be protected by the First Amendment about whether someone likes uh, broccoli or spinach. That's just kind of personal preference, right? Nobody really cares. We do care about religious freedom. We do care about, you know, politics and, 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 and our faith and things like that. So those difficult issues uh, are, are really important. And I think sometimes we, we all hear the saying sometimes, well, don't talk about religion or politics. I think that's a bad thing. I think we should talk about those things. We ought to have tolerance for other people's views on them. But those are really the important issues that free speech and the First Amendment was was there to protect is am i right on that oh absolutely <laughs> yes i mean that's the whole point of the first amendment is to protect unpopular political speech okay i mean it, it just is and you know that that does become uh very uncomfortable uh because obviously there are some things that all of us uh i think would agree that that's terrible things to say um but we also have to say okay but you know if if people don't say those things, okay, or if they're not allowed to say those things, one of the issues is that those ideas will never come out to the daylight, okay? They will always be hidden in the shadows. 
people are still going to hear him and people are still going to listen to him. And the way that you show that an idea is a bad idea, the way in um, I, I am very much about government transparency, because the way that you expose corruption is you bring it into the light to where everybody can see it. OK, and it's the same with bad, terrible ideas. And a lot of times what happens is they kind of circulate underground and no one calls it out until all of a sudden it's too late. Whereas if they're out there, we can all point and say, you know, that's that's a terrible idea. And this is why. OK, you can't do that if it's not where everybody can see it, if it hasn't exposed to light. So I, I think it's not only is it an issue of freedom, but also practicality of some of these really bad ideas, you know, you want to be able to object to them, want to be able to show why they are bad ideas. And the only way you can do that is if you can have a debate about it. Instead, also what happens if you say, you can't say that, and we're going to crush your ability to do that, then all of a sudden everybody's going, oh, what's this person saying? Oh, wow. And then it becomes like forbidden fruit. And then it's, you, know, you actually have, uh, counter to what you are trying to do, the ideas actually gain popularity because in some cases the establishment opposes them. And that's the worst thing you want to have. happen. You want to be able to show on a level playing field of why these are bad ideas. And you can only do that if they're, if the public can actually see them and, go, and make their own minds up about it. Right. Well, I want to switch topics uh, quickly to uh, another issue about openness and about, um, you know, choice and, and, and those sorts of things, that's something that I know you have a lot of passion about and both sides. There's a lot of passion on the issue of school choice or, you know, free market reforms in education. Tennessee has passed educational savings accounts or ESAs for only three counties in the state. But Knox County has been taken out of uh, consideration twice. Do you think the students of Knox County should be able to participate in the ESA program? Yes, I do. Uh, I would be you know, for some sort of universal program where all students can participate. Um, you know, and obviously you know, there are a lot of policy issues that, that and questions that have to be answered about that. Um, but I think that's, that's though, that's freedom. Okay. That gives parents the ability, um, you know, to choose and to tailor as best as possible education for their kids. Um, and I, you know, People often think, oh, what's going to happen is, you know, all these kids are going to leave the public school system. Well, first of all, there, there are a couple issues with that. First of all, um, the apparatus and the private schools and homeschooling, they can't absorb a huge outflow from public schools. Okay, so that, that's probably not going to happen in a practical matter. Um, but also, competition makes everybody better, you know. And unfortunately, around the country, what we see is, um, schools, uh, public schools, and especially the teachers unions, the last thing they want to see is competition for some reason. And to me, that's a disservice to everybody. You know, he, even here in Knox County Schools, we do have um, a little bit of school choice in that uh, you don't have to send your child to the school, the public school of their zip code. You can send them other places if there is an opening. Um, and really, that's kind of what we're talking about overall is, you know, uh, it's just more choice among parents. And, you know, also here in Knox County, we're going to uh, a little bit different model than we have traditionally. It's going to be an academy model where different high schools uh, specialize in different um, career paths. And again, you know, right there is built in some ability for the kids to move around. 
Um, but nevertheless, you know, if you're paying taxes and you want your child in Tennessee, it's it's in our constitution that uh, every child uh, is supposed to have a public education at no cost to them. Um, doesn't specify exactly what that is, but nevertheless, I think that we have have to give parents some choice in how they utilize that and more choice. And you know, through the pandemic, what we saw is a lot of people because of what was happening in um, schools around the country. I, I'll say I'm really proud of Knox County Schools. I think they do a good job. Um, our school board is great. Um, but nevertheless, you know, we saw around the country is we saw a huge increase in the number of homeschoolers because a lot of cases, the parents saw what was happening in their schools. They saw the curriculum and some of the things that were being taught and they were very unhappy about that. Um, and just like everything else, the way you change that is saying, you know, we're out uh, and you need, need to change what you're doing. Um, so I think ultimately, uh, you know, it really does come down to competition and making our public school system better. And I think one of the ways you do that is allowing more competition within the system as a whole. You you mentioned the argument that some people make, which is, well, then, you know, if you had this, all the every parent would take their kids out of school, uh, out of the public schools. And, you know, then they, they they'd be worse off. First of all, that doesn't seem to happen when we pass uh, educational savings accounts. But second, that's a pretty bad argument that if that were really the case, wouldn't that be a pretty, uh, a pretty bad condemnation that's of the system? Self-defeating <laughs> argument. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, yeah. And as I said, you know, I think our schools here do a good job. I mean, sure. obviously, just like everything there, we have, we have a huge school system. Um, you know, and obviously they have some issues here or there, but I think overall, um, they, they do a good job, and uh, our school board is, is really, I've been super impressed by them. Um, and it is all about the kids here. You know, some other places, you know, when you see what's happening, is it really about the kids, or is it about the administration? Is it about the teachers? Is it about everybody but the kids? Right. Um, and, you know, your, your point is very valid. You know, here in Knox County, you know, I don't know how big an impact it would even have because. Uh, you know, I, I think you'd see. I think you would, might see more switching around of individual schools, not necessarily leaving the district. Um, you know, but in other places, you know, certainly, I think that is the case that that you would see a lot more exodus from public schools because they're just not aligned with the values of the parents in those areas. And um, you know, you saw it happen in Loudoun County, Virginia, and all the things that that came out there about what they were really doing. Um, you know, and to me, it's just, it's un-American, the fact that you literally have bureaucrats saying that we're in charge of your kids, you know, and, and ultimately that's also one of the issues is whose kids are they? You know, are, are the parents the ones that are best equipped to make decisions about their children in most cases, or is it elected officials and bureaucrats? And I'm going to fall default towards parents. Yeah. Well, and uh, it, it, it seems like, the, you know, the, the children of Knox County, when they graduate high school, uh, they have every opportunity to really literally go to any college, university, trade school, um, whatever afterwards, as long as they can, they can sort of afford that. They, they, the world is, is up to them and to their parents, right, where they go. Doesn't it just make sense that in K through 12, you'd have that same ability, no matter what county you lived in? Yeah, again, uh, one of the things I'm proud of here with our schools is we are going to more of a tailored approach um, within our public school system. Um, you know, but for some kids, 
know, we're just not going to be able to fit the bill. Um, so we, we have a great school here called L&M STEM Academy, and it actually accepts kids from uh, counties outside of Knox County. So we almost kind of have some of this. Um, it's a very unique model. I think it's the only one in the state. Um, so we kind of have some of this even within our public school system. Um, but, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, when parents think, you know, I just this is this is what the education that I want for my kids looks like. OK, um, when you see uh, parts of the country where we have schools that are underperforming, um, you know, and the ability uh, for the kids to get a better education at another school, whether it is a public school, whether it's a charter school, uh, whether it's a private school, whether it's homeschooling, you know, ultimately it should be about what's best for our kids. And, you know, too often I think that's forgotten in this debate. Yeah. Well, Mayor Glenn Jacobs, thank you so much, whether it's been the WWE or freedom of speech or, you know, our, our kids and, you know, the educational choices that they have. You've been a warrior and a champion uh, for them. So I, I really want to thank you for your time and for joining us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. Thank you. And listen, Glenn Jacobs, we need more people like Glenn Jacobs, a great policy champion. Uh, we need more like him defending liberty, defending freedom. You need to step up to the plate as well. I know you do. Liberty and freedom are easily taken for granted. Don't take it for granted. Go out there, defend freedom, defend liberty. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.